From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Now, I want to I point us in a direction today that I hope will recalibrate the way we live, live each day, and not just during these times, but all times. Like, I think what we're going to talk about today um, is important during these times, but I think it's, it's even more important all the time, because what we celebrate today on Easter Sunday is the resurrection. And everything that we do as a church and everything we do as a faith community, as followers and apprentices of Jesus, as believers in God, hinges on the resurrection. Without this day, without a risen Savior, without the death and and resurrection of Jesus, Christianity is fake, it's false, and it's dead, and we are hopeless. But because of the resurrection, we have hope. And we have life. We have it. And our faith is so much more than just, and the resurrection is so much more than just Easter Sunday. It's so much more than just a day. Resurrection really is the launching pad for a faith-filled life. Like we celebrate on a day, but unfortunately for a lot of us, we make it just a day and we forget that it is a launching pad for a hope-filled life. The resurrection is the game changer. It is the game changer. Now, we are living right now in a time of hopelessness, right, and an increased hopelessness and frustration and darkness, and, it, it, and it's just, it's, there's all a wealth of emotions that's going through this time, but the resurrection changes that because the resurrection tells us that there is hope regardless of circumstance, that death can't even hold us down, that there's hope for salvation, for a saving from darkness, from a saving from hopelessness. And so that's what we're gonna look at today, uh, the resurrection. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 16. If you're in-house, um, grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can get a free version from uh, an app called Version Bible app. It'll be right on your device with you. You can turn to Mark chapter 16. Today, we actually finish our series through the book of Mark. If you're just joining us, we've been largely going through uh, Mark over the past year, taking detours here or there, um, and today we are coming to the end. So if Mark 16, we're gonna start at verse one, but just as you're turning there, I wanna share you a quick story with you. A few years ago, um, my, my kids discovered the infamous and classic paper airplane. It was, it was almost when they, when they realized this was a thing, that you could do with paper, it was almost like they had discovered a, a hidden treasure. It was like the Dead Sea Scrolls, for those of you who know what those are, were just discovered. It's like a dinosaur fossil was just unearthed in our home. And for a time, this like radically changed life for our family. I'm not even joking. We had paper in our house everywhere. We'd find paper airplanes everywhere, on counters, behind furniture, in the hallway. Like you couldn't take, you couldn't go into a room without finding a paper airplane at all. I think we as a family went through a few trees, unfortunately, during that time. And my boys are, my boys are fairly crafty. They like, to, they like to craft things. They like to draw and make things and color. And so they would spend hours folding um, paper and then coloring paper and designing these things and, and crafting these things into to masterpieces that they could see launched and soar into the air. And they would use any paper, any paper at all. It didn't matter what paper it was. It could be a construction paper, like it could be any color. It could be lined paper. It could be, you know, um, uh, 
computer paper, it could be scrap paper. They used any paper at all to fold and craft into this paper airplane and soar it through the sky. Um, now, the purpose of paper airplanes isn't to remain, though, a piece of paper. Like, my, my boys would never spend time crafting this thing so they could just examine it and look at it and st stick it on a shelf. Um, they designed these things to be thrown into the air. They designed these things to be launched through the, through the sky. The purpose of paper um, airplane isn't just to stay a piece of paper, but it's to be launched. And in the similar way, you and me are like pieces of paper. We're all different. We all come from different walks of life. We all have different experiences. Um, we all have different backgrounds. But through the work of God and through the Holy Spirit, we've been crafted and designed to be launched into a transformed life. And the resurrection is the launching pad. The resurrection is the launching pad. So Mark chapter 16, verse one, all the way to verse eight. I'm gonna read it for us, and I believe it will be on the screen there for you as well. It says this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him, him being Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? Because the tomb of Jesus was barricaded by this giant, large stone. Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as I told you, just as he told you. And they went out and fled the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So quick backstory for those of you who haven't been uh, with us through the series of Mark. Uh, Jesus had been ministering publicly for about three years. He lived for, for 30 and then began a three-year journey of ministry. And in that time, he loved the unlovable. He healed the sick. He taught the masses. He called disciples to follow after him, to learn his way. He taught them to do ministry, right, to help others, to build the kingdom. And then he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was tried, ultimately he was crucified and on the cross for the sins of the world. And that's what we looked at on Friday and Good Friday. He was buried in a tomb and the tomb was closed with this very large stone. And on each side of the stone, guards were stationed and the authorities placed a seal on the tomb because religious leaders feared that someone would attempt to steal the body because they remembered some words of Jesus. And then this scene happened. Mary, Mary, and Salome had brought spices to anoint the body of Jesus. So they, you know, basically in that culture, what they would do is they would put spices in and around and on the body to offset the odor from decomposition. And so they're going to the tomb to do this. And here's what got me thinking. They still think he's in there. Even after all he's done and what he said, they think that Jesus' body is still in the grave. So they're going to the gravesite and they start talking with one another, who's gonna roll away the stone? How are we gonna move this massive stone, right? I imagine that they didn't think that that far ahead as they were planning their journey. They kind of just got the spices, said, we gotta go do this. And, and then they go on their journey, and as a journey, and they're like, wait a second, how are we gonna get past this, this stone? And they didn't even know that it was sealed at that point, and they didn't even know that guards were, were stationed at there at this point. They just think that behind the stone rests Jesus' dead 
And that got me thinking, how often in times of our life do we do what we do as if Jesus is still in the tomb? How often do we just go about life as if somebody didn't rise from the dead? Think about this. We spend, even as churchgoers, more time like Jesus is still in the grave than we do like he was in the grave, but he isn't in the grave anymore. Do you believe that Jesus isn't dead? And I speak that to everybody in the room. I speak that to those that are watching online right now. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Somebody died and they came back to life on their own. But we go about life as if that didn't happen. So I got, I got kind of to think a little bit. You know, that they're grieving, they've lost their master, they've lost their, their Lord, they're on the way to anoint his body. But I wonder if this was just the first stop in their day. You know, they're like, hey, let's go, we'll, we'll anoint the body, and then, you know, maybe we'll go to the market after and we'll get some groceries. Go to the grocery store, swing by there, you know, because I know that we have to have a meal later for the family. Maybe we'll stop by the money changers and pay some taxes, you know, go to the bank and, you know, swap some currency around so we can, we can do what we need to do, and then we'll meet with the family. Maybe this wasn't the first stop in their day. They're just doing life. They're grieving, but they're doing life as if he's dead. And do you know what? Too often we do the same. We wake, we work, we eat, we sleep, repeat. Now, some of us, we wake and then we have coffee because we are literally like the dead until we have coffee. Some of you are like, if I don't have coffee in the morning, I am the dead body of Jesus in the tomb, right? Like I'm buried in the grave. So I have my coffee and then I, and I go to work and then I eat. And maybe I work out, maybe I play a little bit, spend time with family, sleep, repeat. And we just go about life. But when I look at the testimony of the New Testament scriptures, when I look at the book of Acts in the early church, and when I look at the letters that have been sent, you know, that we have in this book to different churches, I see people who have have been impacted and transformed by the resurrection reality. There is a difference about a life that's been impacted by the reality of a man who's come back to life. There is a difference, it's transformed, it's changed, it does life differently, it talks differently. You react differently, you risk differently, you live differently, you spend money differently. It's radically shifted and transformed. Life takes on a different meaning when somebody rises from the dead. Our faith isn't built on just ideas and teachings that are nice. You know, and have some, they're nice proverbs and they have some nice wise sayings. They're like, this is a good way of life. We should do this. It is, but it's not built on that. It's built on the fact that somebody rose from the dead. Like, if that happened today, you had a funeral for somebody and you had that funeral and you put them in the grave and you went maybe to pay respects on the Saturday and you went on the next day to pay respects and it was dug out and someone said, he's alive? You'd be flipping out? That would energize you in a way that that would radically shift your life. You'd be telling everybody, right? Let me tell you what I just saw. I went to the grave, and my mama, my dada, my grandpa, my whatever, my so-and-so is back to life. Now, if that person was Jesus, and he had some pretty bold claims about eternity and sin and and life and, and, and resurrection and all these things that would radically shift. But why do we live life like that didn't happen? 
We live life like Easter Sunday rolls around. Oh, happy Easter, he's risen. He's risen indeed. That's right, now let's eat and then let's enjoy the sunshine. Doesn't that seem odd? And we all do that. The resurrection isn't a day we just celebrate on the calendar. The resurrection is the kind of life that we live. Should be. So Mary and Mary and Salome, they go to the tomb. I think along the way, how are we gonna roll away the stone? The stone, the stone. Here's what you need to understand. I wanna speak to some skeptics. I wanna speak to some people and point to the validity of the resurrection event. So there's a lot of theories surrounding why Jesus didn't actually die. The first is that the Romans took him off the cross before he actually died, which is fallacy because when when you study Roman crucifixion, you just studied the Romans, if they knew how to do anything, it was kill people in that century, in that time. The second one and more predominant is that Jesus' followers stole his body. That's, that's why they sealed the tomb the way they did because they feared someone would steal the body. So they said, let's play, place some, some guards at the tomb and let's seal it so that way we can assure no one can steal the body. So first of all, if someone attempting to steal the body, they'd have to get past the Roman guards that were stationed there. They'd have to somehow unseal the tomb. And then how would they do that? How would they do that secretly without anyone knowing? We would hear in probably extra biblical accounts that, hey, these followers of Jesus attempted to steal the body. You know, the Romans would give account for that. There'd be something in in ancient literature that would document something like that. In John, it tells us that the grave clothes were there and that the cloth that covering his face was neatly folded. So anyone stealing the body, what are they gonna do? They're gonna first try to get past the guards, they're gonna unseal the tomb, then they're gonna go in there, they're gonna unwrap the body, they're gonna spend time unwrapping the body, and they're gonna neatly um, fold the, the face cloth. You're trying to steal the body without anybody knowing, you're not doing that, you're grabbing the body and you're going, and you're going quickly. Further, the disciples and the followers of Jesus didn't really have the concept in their minds of the resurrection until after it took place. What we'll see even a little bit later on is the, the, the disciples, when, the, when, when these women came back to tell what had happened, they didn't believe them at first. They thought it was nonsense. Because they didn't have in mind, even though, and we've seen that through the book of Mark, right? That Jesus is being pretty clear about what's gonna happen, especially later on in his ministry, and they're just not getting it. They're not realizing. They're still assuming that this Messiah is gonna set up this earthly rule and reign and, and overthrow the oppressions, and then he dies. And so their story's done, they feel. Now, beyond all this, the Jewish people would have never said that a man would be God. That was blasphemy, and that's why a lot of the religious leaders tried Jesus, because he was blasphemous, they believed. Yet people began to worship Jesus after this, not just following his teaching, but after he rose from the dead, they began to worship him as God. If Jesus was merely just crucified with no resurrection, then Um, the majority of the Jews in the Judaism and Jewish people would have believed that Jesus was a false prophet who was obviously cursed by God. But yet you have many Jewish Christians viewing him completely different. The other thing that we need to consider about the, the witness to the resurrection is the witness of this book, the Bible. I got one in my hand here. And we need to stop looking at this like a novel that somebody wrote. One guy a long time ago wrote this to, to, you know, you know, enter into a new religion. But this wasn't written by one guy. It was written by 40 different authors over the span of 1,500 years, three different continents and three different languages with incredible harmony throughout. You have to start, stop looking at it like a book like we have it here. 
You gotta, you gotta strip it of that and you gotta consider that this is actually a collection of ancient documents. So if we strip back in mine, the nice leather, if you, or you take your device and you strip back all the technology, I take these fancy nice pages that feel nice to turn and I take away the, the chapters and verses which were added later for our convenience. What I have here are a bunch of manuscripts that were written. I have the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. We can get into that a little bit, but I'm not gonna get into that today. I have the New Testament. I have the, this account, these scriptures, these, these letters, these documents that have been written that testify to the resurrection of Jesus. I have these four biographies that were written. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we've been going through one, that speak to, these are eyewitnesses accounts that speak to the resurrection of Jesus. And they were circulated while other eyewitnesses were around. So somebody would have got a hold of these documents, these biographies, and said, wait a second, that's not true. I've seen it, if it wasn't true. They wouldn't have survived time, or we would have, again, had more ancient documents speaking to the fact that this didn't happen. Then we have the letters in the New Testament, primarily from this guy named Paul. Now, what we know about Paul is Paul was actually a Pharisee who was a persecutor of the church. And the church feared Paul because he was jailing and killing Christians. The first Christian that was sent to, to, to Paul was like, wait a second, I know this guy. I don't wanna go here but he went because he was compelled by, by God. We have this man who was persecuting, jailing, killing Christians, who was radically transformed, largely writes the New Testament about the resurrection. Beyond all this, we have pagan and we have Jewish writers reporting in ancient documents and ancient history that the Jews, Jewish Christians, believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he appeared to them. There are 11 different accounts in the New Testament of where Jesus appeared to people, men, women, individuals, couples, groups, appearing inside and outside, different locations and times of the day. Jesus was touched, he was heard, he was seen, he was ate food. And none of these witnesses believed that Jesus would rise from the dead before the resurrection. They didn't really have that in their mind. Finally, the exponential growth and rise of the church is centered around the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. And you see the growth coming from the area where Jesus has claimed to rose from the dead. And it's not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but a movement began that has survived two millennium. Two millennium. It's something people have centered their lives around. It's something the early church based their life on. And if you look at the New Testament, it doesn't spend a lot of its time defending the resurrection, but speaking to what it means to live a resurrected life. So let me bring this back to our story. These women, they're headed to the tomb. How are we gonna roll away the stone? How are we gonna get past this barrier? If we could just get past this stone, we could get into Jesus. And I, and, I, and I just paused there because I felt like the Spirit was just saying to me, how many of us live like that? Like there's a stone in the way of us getting to Jesus. How many of us are dealing with something or experiencing something and that something is blocking our path to Jesus. Maybe it's a hurt that's holding us from living a resurrected life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a lifestyle choice. Maybe it's unrepentant sin. It's habitual sin. But you, like these women, keep thinking, how can I get, get past this? If I can just get past this, I could be with Jesus. If I could just get past this, I could enter in. 
oh, this thing, it's just, it's the stone in the way of us living a resurrected life. Here's the thing, is these women couldn't move the stone, but God could. Too often we're living with our situation, our, our thing, whatever it may be, the relationship, the hurt, the pain, the circumstance, the sin, the lifestyle, and we're thinking, how am I gonna get through this? How can I get through this? What can I do? And we, you know, if we just stopped saying that and we started saying, okay, how's my God gonna do this? What if we actually believed, what if we actually started to believe that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead could move the stones in our life? What if we actually started to believe, the scriptures say that the, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. What if we actually started to believe that the power of resurrection, since it's in me, could move away this thing? The impossible is possible with God. He wouldn't be God if it wasn't possible with him. So stop looking at your thing like it's a barrier in the way of you getting to Jesus. And start looking at your barrier and saying, it's, it's not too difficult for my God. It's not too big. That's not too much. Because if God can raise someone from the dead, he can move the barrier. So they arrive and it's rolled back and their brain notice doesn't automatically go to, he's risen. They go in the tomb and they see an angel and they're alarmed. Now they're alarmed, the scriptures kind of reveal because the body is not there, Jesus isn't there and there's this angelic being before them. He's saying, don't be alarmed. But the resurrection should be an alarm to us. You know, in our house, we have, uh, we have smoke detectors like most people do in their house, but we have the ones that are like connected. I don't know if anybody has those ones that are like connected to each other. And I knew this, that they were connected to each other until we had a circumstance where something set them off and we didn't know what it was. And all of a sudden, all the smoke alarms in our house are going off. And we're like trying to run around, see what's causing this. We weren't even cooking, what's going on? And what, what I realized with this is they don't turn off, like you can turn them off, but they go back on until the one that was tripped actually is turned off. And so I'm running through my house trying to find out which one was tripped so I can, so I can turn it off and then shut off the rest and they just stay off, but, but something kept tripping. We couldn't figure it out. And I don't even think our kids really knew what smoke detectors were, like they knew, but they, I don't think one had gone off in their lifetime, so they're like in a panic. They're alarmed, right? <laughs> what is going on here? And the, the resurrection should be like that to us. It should be a, an alarm that confronts us. It should be something that, that looks at us and says, okay, there's a man named Jesus who rose from the dead. If God has the power to do this, to raise someone from the dead, what else does he have the power to do? The same spirit that raised Jesus from Christ from the dead dwells in me. What else can he do? This should confront everything about my life. If, if God raised Jesus from the dead, that means that sin is really a big deal because Jesus had to go to the cross for it and die for it, but he conquered death. If, if, if God raised Jesus from the dead, that means that eternal condemnation and eternal life is true, that the wages of sin is death. Not without Jesus, I'm destined to death, but death has been defeated. Everything hinges on this. That means that Jesus isn't just this cult figure that some Christians follow privately and do on a Sunday morning while everyone else just continues to live their life. It means that Jesus really is the king of the world. It really means that he is the ruler of all of life. Not just my life, but we live in a post, 
a modern world and, and a society that says your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Well, my truth says that he's the savior of the world and there's historical account that point to that. Paul to the church in Corinth said this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. This is pointless. Baptism was pointless. Your faith is pointless without the resurrection. He goes on to say, Paul says this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So the resurrection should be an alarm that if God is moving us towards a resurrected life and desires us to live with resurrection in mind from a resurrected savior, then the meaning and mission of life should be different. Alarm, that should confront you. Are you living life like that? Do you understand that? Do you believe that? So the early church were changed by this. The, the disciples were changed by this. Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, was radically changed when he encountered the risen Jesus. And they started to claim that Jesus was, was king. Not just, not just a, a rabbi, not just a teacher, but, but king. Paul got into trouble in Thessalonica for declaring that Jesus was the king. That was treason in a Roman world. That was treason in a Roman world. It meant that Jesus was calling into question the absolute power claimed by Caesar and, and the absolute loyalty he demanded. Because if Jesus is king and the resurrection means he's king, that calls into question every other loyalty in your life. It should confront you. It should confront you if you start thinking hard enough about what it means that death was defeated by somebody. It means that he really is the king of life. And in Jesus, your life isn't your own. And outside of Jesus, you're dead in your sins. That's the claim of scripture. And what is the, what is the event that, that, that scripture points to? To back up this truth, somebody rose from the dead. So what happens here is this angelic being says to them, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Come and see. Come and see the empty tomb. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. Come and see that the tomb is empty, now go and tell the others. See, the first witnesses to the resurrection were people who were told to come and see, but then go and tell somebody. Go and let somebody know. If that doesn't scream the mission and vision of the church, I don't know what does. What's our vision and mission of the church? Come and see, and then go and tell. Right, come and see, come and learn. Come and see that, that he was dead and he was put in a tomb, but then three days later he rose from the dead. Learn from that. Disciple under Jesus. Come and be a part of this community and see what it means to follow after Jesus. But then go and tell. Go and tell somebody who needs to come and see. Go and tell somebody that, that, that there is life available to them. If this doesn't say that, that Easter Sunday isn't just a day, I don't know what does. But you know what it tells me? You got the COVID blues, which we all do. Well, Jesus conquered death. So COVID's not gonna get us down. 
or any of the rules, restrictions, or you know, all those other things you want to throw into the mix of that. Feeling like the government's demanding too much, where so were the Romans. Jesus conquered death. Tired of lockdowns, I know I am. The greatest lockdown didn't hold Jesus down. Sounds so like meme-like, eh? Facing sickness and disease, cancer, extreme circumstance, while the greatest enemy is death, and death was conquered. Come and see, learn that Jesus died, but then go and tell, share the truth. No longer live a life where you're just coming to bring spices to a dead body. No longer live a life just doing business and life as usual, but live a life that shares the good news that a man conquered the whole of death. A resurrected Savior lives. Like We don't just talk about Jesus as if he's a dead man that, that did some really good long ago. But he's alive. We had a baptism today, which is awesome. You know what that means? Somebody's doing life as if the resurrection took place. Somebody's living resurrected life. Somebody came and saw, and then they went and told somebody about it. And that somebody else came and saw and was baptized. That means somebody's doing what this angel told them to do. Are you? Has the resurrection changed you? Has the, the risen Jesus altered your life? And listen, we all tell in different ways. I'm not saying we all have to go on a street corner with, with a bullhorn and, and you, go, you know, shout. I'm not saying that. Well, we all gotta go. And you know what the best, the best witness, the best way to tell somebody about Jesus is, is a transformed life. Is a life that's been radically changed by this. There are people who are waiting for us to go and tell. There are people who are waiting to come and see. And how are they gonna come and see unless the church goes? We fail at a resurrection mission as a church if we don't go. Now here's what we do, church people. I'm just speaking to the church people. If you are not a church person and you're just tuning in, you caught us and you know this is not for you. But here's what we do, church people, is we come and see. We come and see, we come and see. We like what we see. We see an empty tomb, that's good. That's good to come and see. And then we come and see some more. And then we stay and we get comfortable and we hang out in an empty tomb. We say, wow, it's empty. My God is risen. Let's inspect this. Let's dissect it. Let's study it. Let's invite people in and, and gather around in a circle. Let's talk about it. And that's not wrong. That's not wrong. But the temptation for believers to come and see and sit at the feet, feet of Jesus, and that is good until we've been doing it forever in a day. Being a follower of Jesus is not a spectator sport. We may watch a lot of things, but we're designed to be involved. And if you've been spectating, it's like you're hanging out in an empty tomb. That's really confrontational, Pastor Call. Well, the resurrection should confront you. You know the last words after Jesus rose from the dead to his disciples before he ascended to heaven? Do you know what those were? Kind of what this angel said, go and make more disciples. You got an issue with that, take it up with the Lord of life. 
Take it up with God. Being a follower of Jesus in a spectator sport, I heard this week that knowing you're a part of what Jesus is building universally in his kingdom is by serving locally. See, it's not the will of Jesus for you simply to cultivate your own private relationship with him. It's, it's not the will of God for us simply to rely on the church staff to do another event. You know how many people come to me and say, hey, it would be great if you guys did this? You should really do this. And I love ideas, I love that. But it kind of like messes with my brain a little bit because then I just pause and say, you think that the church is a paid staff. But that's not what the Bible teaches. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're the church. So if the church isn't doing this, this means you're not doing it either. We don't get to sit here and watch others produce fruit. Not with resurrection, not when somebody rose from the dead. Because if we've truly seen the empty tomb, then the resurrection becomes the launching pad for life. I invite the worship team to come back up. We gotta end with some celebration. So Mary and Mary, they, they actually failed to go, it says, because they were afraid. And I think not of what people would think of them so much as they just encountered an angelic being and they didn't have their minds fully wrapped in what it meant for their savior to rise from the dead. And they were afraid until they encountered Jesus on the way back. They had an encounter with Jesus and so they went, actually went and they finally told the disciples. And you know what it says? It says that the disciples didn't listen at first. They actually says in Luke, it says they, it seemed like nonsense to them. What, what the women were sharing about the resurrection, resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus seemed nonsensical. You know what that tells me? There are, gonna, there are gonna be people who think it's nonsensical. That doesn't make sense. You're right. It doesn't to our natural mind. That's why it's miraculous. It goes against the laws of nature because the laws of nature is death is finality. It's nonsensical. There are gonna be people who, who don't, but there was Peter who got up and he ran to the tomb. So there are gonna be people who don't listen, but somebody's gonna go. Somebody's gonna come and see and check out the tomb. And you wanna know what, what Jesus did after he rose from the dead? Jesus didn't go about teaching for another three years. He didn't go about sharing more parables. He didn't go about healing more sick people. He spent a little time with his disciples and then do you know what he did? He did something really crazy. He left them. He rose from the dead, spent a little time with them and then he left. Goodbye. Why? so he could launch them to do the same thing. He left so they could go. He said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses to everybody and everywhere. And it's the same for you and me. It's the same for you and me. He came, he died, he rose again, so that we could go and do the things that Jesus did and tell the world that there's a resurrection savior. I love, I love Easter for the chocolates because I'm a chocoholic, I love any chocolate. But that is not Easter. That's what the majority of people celebrate. But what if the church actually just began going and telling? Post it on your Instagram, I don't care. Do whatever you gotta do. Somebody says, how was your, your Easter weekend? Say, it was great. I, I worshiped my God who rose from the dead. Like, it should confront our way of life. 
It should change everything. Jesus is alive. I did a few funerals over COVID and it's, it's always hard and difficult. And it's so sad and to watch these people grieve and mourn. But what would they act like if they saw that life come back to life? It would radically change everything. And that is what happened on Easter. So what's our response to this? It's a, a renewed radical commitment to Jesus as Lord. It's a, it's a radical commitment to Jesus as Lord, as God. It's a radical commitment to Jesus as the way of life. There needs to be a way that we do things differently. There needs to be practices that we do to become more like him. Our response to the resurrection should change us. It's a call to worship. That's what they did. They started to worship a man as God. So we need to let our soul arise and we need to remember that he isn't dead, that he's not behind an empty tomb, that the stone has been rolled away and the game has been changed because there is hope in the middle of the lockdown and there's hope in the middle of COVID and there's hope regardless of what pandemic hits our world because Jesus is alive and we need to celebrate that and we need to live with that truth, Christian person, because if you don't, this hasn't altered your life. So let it alter your life. Let the Holy Spirit come and change you in a way that you can finally boldly say, my Savior is alive. And do you know what I'm doing right now? We're online. If people shared this, I don't know who's watching it, but now all of a sudden I'm walking down my street and I need to make sure I actually live this out because there's people who've seen me online do this now. And there's gotta be people who see your life and say, man, he's been radically transformed. What's going on? My Jesus is alive! That's what's going on. That's what's going on. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.